0: Alright, good, good morning. My name's Adam. Chris kind of introduced me already, one of the pastors here at the church. Um, it's Easter, and every Easter, uh, we, what we really do in Easter is we laser focus on what this church is really about every Sunday, and that's the resurrection of uh, Jesus. Now, one of the things that I do each week is I prepare for my messages, is I meet with a team of people, we call it the preaching team, and they meet, we usually meet Monday afternoon, and they've um, done a lot of study and a lot of research, and I kind of lay out where we're headed, what we want to talk about, and so then what they do is they help me make the message memorable, help it stick. They, uh, some on that team are teenagers, we have all the way up through... Uh, moms and dads and uh, single. And so again, all just kind of stepping towards kind of how to make memorable. So this week with the team, I said, guys, I would love, 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 love to put an exclamation point behind it's Easter. It's Easter, right? Let's really do this big. So what can we do that, that every person uh, remembers? I mean, they will they'll talk about this message all day long. Um, you forget your family gatherings. You will be talking about this message. So that's what I'm kind of going for. I'm kind of looking for the big dramatic thing. And so they had this idea that I, I resonated with. So here it is. Ready? One very simple, clear message today. You know what it is? Spoiler alert Jesus has risen. Amen. Right? So we worked hard on this. I worked hard in crafting that message to say it. And I'm like, there it is. I'm done. I know. I'm a terrible actor, a terrible comedian. I'm not done. April Fools, right? Some of you are going, oh yes, we're out of here. Oh, I, I know. Some of you, some of you really got excited there. Others of you are like, ah. Now here's the deal. Um, April Fools, right? Today's April, April 1st. April Fools' joke. Have some. I hope you have some fun with your kids. Uh, really, I saw a really cool one. Wrap grapes up in those. You know those little, like um, butterfinger eggs you can buy unwrap that real carefully, stick a grape in there and rewrap it. Kids will love it. Um, Google it. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Have some fun today. Uh, with that said, so um, as I, as I kind of throw that joke out and say, well, I'm going to leave, you guys kind of expect more. And so I want to kind of build on that and say, what, why do you expect more from me, from this time? Why are you here? Let's ask it that way. Why did you come to church today? Honest question, fair question, no right or wrongs. Look for an answer in your heart and mind. Why did you come to church today? Some of you are saying, well, I'm here because uh, it's the traditional thing I do. I only come to church on Christmas and Easter, and uh, here I am, and I would say, Stoke, stoked, glad you're here. Hope you uh, are challenged and find something to today. Some of you say, well, I don't know, Adam, I grew up in a church. It's just kind of what I grew up doing. I've never really thought about it. Why do I have to go to church? I don't know. Uh, some of you are saying, well, I'm here because mom or dad made me. If mom and dad didn't make me, I wouldn't be here. Some of you are here saying, because I'm here to honor my wife, or I'm here to honor my husband, or um, I'm here to, I'm not sure the reason that you're here, why are you here? Some of you are saying, I'm here because I love God, and I love his people, and I want to hang with them. As you think about the question why you're here, there's a lot of answers to that, but one of the things that I've observed when people answer that question, at some level, your answer will revolve at some piece of, you know why I'm here? Because I want a relationship with God. Most of you, I believe most of you, that's really what you want. It's why you're here today. It's why you do this thing. So I want to ask this question of you. How do you have a relationship with God? It's an elementary question. It's a basic question, but it's a question a lot of us, I think, avoid a lot of us don't always step in and really wrestle with the answer. So how do you, have, how do you, you personally, have a relationship with God? Again, look for some answers, find some. And, and I think what you'll, what you'll often hear is, first of all, you say, well, Adam, that's why I'm here. I'm coming to church. Uh, and that's a lot of where our, quest- our answers to that question revolve. They kind of revolve around, well, I have a relationship with God. You know how I have a relationship with God? I read my Bible. Maybe some of you had that answer in your mind. Some of you say, well, I pray. Some of you say, well, I go to church. I give my money, I serve the poor, I obey his commandments, I uh, cut out the addiction. I, and, and, and so we begin to give these answers that are very um, sacrifice-oriented, obedience-oriented, I'm doing my duty, I'm doing my responsibility. But let's push it beyond God. Let's talk about general relationships. How do you have a relationship, a good, strong, healthy relationship with the person sitting beside you? Go ahead and look at them. You probably came with them, right? Go ahead and take a look. Some of you didn't. Say hi to them. Wave, smile. If you're related, give a kiss. <laughs> some of you are like, oh, no, 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 no. Do not touch me. <laughs> um, I see some kids going like this to their mom and dad, like, uh-uh, I, that's off limits. Uh, but how do you have a relationship with the people around you? How do you do it? Do you give the answers like you give with God? I mean, some of you say, I would say, well, no, I, we don't. Uh, if we're going to really strengthen that relationship, if I'm going to focus on that, it's not built on the sacrifices that I make for that person. Do you know what relationships are built upon? You take this one word out, your relationship's dead. What is the relationship built upon? One word. Someone said it. Trust. Trust. If you eliminate this word, you've eliminated the relationship. Where this word is lacking, your relationship will lack and struggle. So this is how you have human relationships. Well, this, is, is this is, I would also suggest, how you have a relationship with God. Let me illustrate it this way, uh, from a human perspective. This I'll illustrate with a conversation between spouses probably as old as time. Uh, it's, I'll think back to the first time I really remember this conversation. In our marriage, we were in Mifflin County, Pennsylvania. We lived in this cute little Cape Cod. Um, you know, the Cape Cods, they've, they've got kind of that center staircase, and ours had the same thing, the center staircase that comes down. And right off that center staircase was the living room, and right through the living room is the, kind of wrap it around is the dining room, and you wrap around behind that, and then there's an out we had an alley kitchen that ran across and went out towards the garage in the back. Now, this particular morning, I was up early, and I was doing um, the dishes, and I did some laundry, and I'd clean the house, and I'm back there at this, the point that Tanya, my wife, gets up, I hear her feet coming down the steps, and I'm back there wrapping up, we had this portable dishwasher, it was an old house, so we didn't have a built-in dishwasher, it was an alley kitchen, so there was no room for once, we had this roll-away thing that we hooked the hose up to the the sink, and so I'm emptying this thing, and Tanya gets up. Now, the night before, Tanya and I had what I would call some intense fellowship. You know what I mean? (laughs) Another word for we had a fight. And so she's coming down and comes around the corner. Now, Tanya was thankful that I'm doing the dishes. Um, She wasn't going to, you know, turn that down. She was thankful that I did the laundry. But ultimately, when Tanya begins the conversation, I remembered something kind of going like this. Sweetie, you're missing... What I said last night. What I really want is you. Have you ever been there, husband? Wife's? Wife's? Wife? Relationships are not built upon all the hard work and sacrifices that you make for the other person. Now, that's important, and you want to serve your spouse, but a relationship is built on one simple word, and that's called trust. Now, where trust breaks down, the relationship breaks down. We are created to be close. Trust brings us close. Closer is better. Now, think about your relationship with God. It is no different. And some of you know this. Some of you have been around church a while, right? So, so um, trust the Lord with all your heartly, not in your own understanding. Have faith. And some of you know the Christian faith is built on just that, faith in God. Another word for trust. I trust him. Let me pose it another way. Does God trust you? Does God trust you? You say, okay, I can trust God, and that's okay, but a strong relationship out you say is built trust. Does God trust you? I want to wrestle with this throughout this message. I want to really kick this around. See, God, for some of us, he is, he is distant and mysterious. Even for those of you who have been a Christ follower for, for years, God can still kind of hold this mystery. For some of you, God is uh, watches and judges. For some of you, God is severe, unattainable, unapproachable, For many of us, we have this sense of fear of this holy, magnificent, all-powerful God, so I'm going to come, I'm going to offer my sacrifices to him, but I'm going to stay at a distance. I'd ask the question, does God trust you? I would say it this way, um, trusting God cannot grow when I'm unsure about the answer to that question, when I'm unsure about his feelings for me. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 27. If you allow me, I want to push in on this, and hopefully by the end of this message, you can kind of begin to wrestle and see that God trusts you. He's asking you to trust him, but I believe he also trusts you. And and the two put together make a strong relationship, which I think most of us want, with our creator. Matthew chapter 27, it's page 827, and the Bible's there in the seats in front of you. Matthew 27, look at verse 45, as we're going to jump into this passage, this is in kind of the beginning of the Easter story, this would be happening on Good Friday, if you will, Uh, that's kind of how it's become the name, so uh, this is Jesus, he's been arrested, he's been falsely accused, he's kind of had this sham of a trial, this mock trial, Uh, he's been poorly treated, he's been ridiculed publicly and shamed, Uh, and now he's hanging on a cross, where we're going to pick up in verse 45, it's at the end of his time on that cross. And it reads this way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. I'm going to pause here. As you guys read this story, if you've been around church, you've heard this story multiple times. Try and put yourself there. Try and put yourself in it. At noon... Yesterday at noon, I was outside. Uh, The sun was shining. It was bright. Imagine a sunny, bright day, and suddenly, whether there's an eclipse, whether somehow the sun goes dark. You're now in the middle, like you're groping around in the middle of the night. So suddenly, darkness falls across the whole land. It lasts for about three hours. At about 3 o'clock, verse 46, at about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He's quoting from Psalm 22, an early part of our scripture. He's quoting the Bible and he's crying out to God. And I want to pause right here and put, really step into this and what Jesus must be feeling. So Jesus up to this point, so Jesus has lived 30 plus years on this earth. Three of his years were given to intense ministry to, to, to spread the message of, of God the Father in heaven, who Jesus has come to fully represent, to, to make peace with his people. He's come to the end of those years and in, and he's, he's arrested, he's tried. He's had in that in that it's it's been a sham of a trial. He's had his beard pulled out. He's been spit upon. He's had he's had a crown of thorns shoved down on his head. He's been sent out to be publicly flogged. He's publicly flogged right up to the point of the legal limit, and it all but leaves him dead. Some of you guys know this, if you try and put yourself, imagine a scene, is, is every time that lash comes down, it's not just a leather belt or a leather whip. The, the ends of it, which have, would have shards of glass and stone woven into that leather, and each time it hits and pulls, it's pulling more flesh off of his back. And it's not just his back, it would be all the way up and down his legs and his backside. And it's hitting and it's lashing and it's ripping and the blood is falling. And he then has people spitting upon him, laughing at him, jeering at him. And they put him out in front of everyone and ultimately a criminal was chosen over him. His name is Barabbas. And they ultimately sentenced Jesus to death. They put this big, heavy, wooden uh, Roman cross on his shoulders and have him carry it out to a uh, hill outside of the city. He can't make it. Some of you know the story. Someone picks, steps in for him. By the name of Joseph, and Joseph carries it the rest of the way. He gets out to this hill, and they ultimately stretch him down on that cross beam, and they drive a railroad spike through his through his wrist on both sides. They then put his feet on the beam, and then if you picture them lifting that cross up and dropping it in the hole, as it lands and the the voom, drops them in, and then the pain that I read and understand that the real pain isn't it, it intensifies not just the pain of the, of the nails, but it's the pain of the fact that he can't breathe. So here he is stretched out, and so each breath he has to take, he's got to push himself up with that nail that's stuck through his foot, and he takes a deep breath, and then he lets himself hang again. All the while, he's practically stripped naked. People are making fun of him. Isaiah says, and, and the scriptures say, he's beaten beyond recognition. He's in horrendous pain. Now, I've studied trauma I'm a novice at it, but I've learned over the years to really pay attention to it. And what I've learned with trauma, even just recently I've read this, physical trauma is horrible. Emotional trauma carries a far deeper scar. Jesus' physical pain, as I cannot even begin to get my head around, but when he is crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For all of eternity past, he and God have been one. There's been an intimacy shared between he and the Father that we cannot get our heads around. And in this moment, if you, the scriptures say that Jesus absorbed our sin. The sin came into his body, and Colossians says it was literally nailed to the cross. So if Jesus came to absorb our sin, the Father can't do anything but turn his back on him. And it crushes Jesus. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That's where Jesus is at. Now continue reading. Um, Verse 47, some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. So so it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. Jesus, I, we read these, my God, my God, but he, it's, it's such a labored, he's, he's pushing so hard to get it out because it's, you know, he's, he's got blood filling inside his lungs likely he's, and he's just working so hard to, so, so it's labored and they, they have a hard time understanding it, so they think he's calling for Elijah. So verse 48, one of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine to help. in essence to help kind of heighten his senses and help his throat with with some moisture to, to be able to help him hear what he's saying, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Verse 49, but the rest said, wait, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. In other words, let's see if this guy's really who he says he is. Verse 50, then he shouted out again, and he released his spirit. In other places in the, the other gospel writers say what was said here is, Father, into your hands I release my spirit. So it's so interesting to me. We're going to tie this all together. But it's so interesting It's in one moment he's saying, God, you have forsaken me. And in a breath later, he's saying, God, I trust you. Verse 51 is crucial. Here's the heart of what we're going to look at this morning. Verse 51, at that moment. At that very moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom." the earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. Here we've got Night of the Living Dead. Right here it is. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. So that all happens. So they kind of, I always chuckle, like, they, they, they come alive, they're here in the graves, but they don't really present themselves until the third day after Jesus' rise. Like, what were these guys doing for this? Stuff? Like, so anyway, but this all happens. So I picture all this power, all this energy is just focused right on Jerusalem this the point where it brings people alive. Now, come back to verse 51. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary was torn. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I want to give you this morning, I want to talk about it in two ways. First, the, the real theological implication. So the curtain in the Jewish religious system, how it happened, they had their temple, and the temple was broken up. So you had the court of the Gentiles. It's kind of where you'd enter the temple. And then the temple was broken into all these sections. The inner, deepest, darkest, most sacred part of the temple was what was called the Holy of Holies. The Jewish people believed that in that place, in that area, was the very physical, earthly presence of, or not the physical, but the the the, uh, earthly presence of God, creator of heaven and earth. That's where his presence was. Now, if you read through the scriptures, you'll see over and over and over this picture in this story that no one can see God and live. No one can really look upon his glory. So here it is. It resides inside of this temple and there's this big, thick, heavy curtain that comes between God's presence and his people. So the priest, enter the priest. The priest, what a priest is, a priest is what is referred to as a go-between. In other words, a priest is here to represent the people to God. So what the priest does, is they come before the Holy of Holies and they offer their sacrifices. So you would come to the priest, you would bring your dove, you would bring your cow, you would bring your lamb and goat. The priest would slaughter it and then they would go and present, uh, say, hey, these people, God, we're here to represent the people and to cleanse them from their sins. One day out of the year, it was called the Day of Atonement, the priest not only entered and, and came to the Holy of Holies, they went inside the Holy of Holies to meet God, in essence, his presence face to face. The Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was when the people made atonement, made payment for their sin. So you would bring a lamb, and then and you may have seen, if you've if you've seen the movie The Son of God, or you've seen other depictions of this, what often happen is the priest, you would bring a lamb to the priest. The priest would then touch the lamb. And a lot of times the priest would like put their forehead to the lamb's forehead as a symbolic picture of I am passing my sin to this lamb. I am moving my brokenness into this lamb. And the priest would put him down and he'd hold the lamb and take a knife and then slit the lamb's throat and let the blood spill into a basin underneath. They would take that into the Holy of Holies on the day of atonement to say we are making payment for the sins of the people. The Holy of Holies was so sacred that what would happen to the priest, they would tie a rope around the priest because if the priest wasn't quite ceremonially cleansed himself, he could be struck dead by God. So they would tie a rope around this priest, and then they would put bells on his tassels of his robe. So as he walked in, as long as he's moving, you're hearing the dingling of the bells. If the bells stop and they stop for a long period, it means the priest has dropped dead. So instead of anyone going in to rescue him and risk their own death, what did they do? They simply pulled the guy out and moved on with life. The Holy of Holies, the presence of God, the curtain that separates. So when it says... Verse 51, at that moment, do you know what it's saying? At that moment, Jesus, it says in First Peter chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus absorbed our sins. So when he was on the cross, he became the payment. He became the lamb. He became that sacrifice. He became the offering. It was going to atone. It was going to pay for your sins. So that's once and done. It's over. It's all finished. So we do not need the Holy of Holies. It is now ripped. It is torn. And you now have access to God through the person of Jesus. You don't need to bring your lamb any longer. That's the theological implication. Powerful. But I want to push in even deeper. Because I think the scriptures do. I think the tearing of the curtain, I think what Jesus did is a beautiful picture of God's trust of you and of me. Think of the word trust. What does it mean? I want to borrow Brene Brown's. um, I think she's got one of the best, uh, succinct, clear definitions of this word. Trust is choosing to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's actions. So it's taking something that you possess of value and handing it over and being vulnerable and saying, I'm going to trust you to take what I value and honor it. It's kind of like when I was a senior in high school and uh, I looked, the prom was coming up, right? The prom, you know, we're, we're fast approaching that season for many of you. And um, I wanted to really impress the girl I was taking. So I knew, uh, at least I thought, I learned girls aren't always into cars that guys are, but I wanted to pick her up in this car that was just going to stun her. Uh, So I looked at my um, dad's boss. His name was Blair. He had a, it was like a $110,000 car. And I'm thinking, man, if I get my hands on that car. So I go to him and I said, Blair, um, I got this thing called the prom coming up. I got this girl that I'm really, you know, kind of like. And I, you know, he says, you want the car, don't you? I love the car. He says, here are the keys. That's Trust. I don't know, it was more trust in my father than me because he worked with, I don't know, but it was trust. I mean, what's an 18 year old kid doing with a $110,000 car, right? That's trust. Trust is saying, I, I'm going to take something I value and I'm going to make it vulnerable and give it to you. Is that not what Jesus, what God did with us, with the person of Jesus? Did God not send Jesus? Think about Jesus, the the way the scriptures write of him, my only begotten son. Have you ever heard that word? Uh, Jesus, who who is the perfect son of God. Jesus, who out all eternity past was wrapped up as one, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, he places here on earth and says, I trust you, I trust you. Think about the curtain. I think uh 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, this is where we begin to push in relationships. So remember your answer for the relationship with God a lot of times. How do you have a relationship with God? Well, I go to church, I do my stuff. Well, well a lot of times when we answer that question, we talk about what we do. Jesus steps in and says, Hey, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now let's push it in on the curtain. There's another wo- verse in the scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, The whole section, if you're in our known reading plan, if not, I'd encourage you to grab one on the way out, it's out and to the right. We have scriptures that engage you throughout the week, Uh, there's some out there, but you're going to read this whole section and in this section, it talks about a veil that has, it, it references way back into chapter 3, it references Moses, the guy that would see God in all his glory, but he'd only see the back of him, and then he glowed so, so bright that they ultimately, people were afraid of Moses, so they put a covering over his face, and, and so the, the whole passage kind of builds on this veil, kind of like a curtain, and, 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 and it builds this whole thing, and it says ultimately Satan blinds people with, with this covering so that they can't see God, and it builds. All the way down to faith in Jesus, and it gets to verse six, and it says, This for God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we could know look at it, so we could know the glory of God, the full power, the full majesty, the greatness, the unbelievable, mind blowing. This is who God is, so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the what? Where's it seen? It's seen in the face. Of Jesus Christ. So he says, you look at Jesus, you see God. You look at his face, you see his glory. Now, I want you to think about this. I'm gonna go behind this curtain. Now, some of you think he's gonna do a puppet show. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> April Fools. Um, <laughs> so maybe some I had some people in first service throughout. Well, I thought you were gonna go back and do one of those magic tricks where you do those quick changes. Um I April Fools in that one too. I'm not gonna, but I wanna come back here behind this curtain. As I'm back here, think about communication. How do you communicate? What is communication? I mean, think about the person to your left or to your right, the person that you love, the person, your mom, your dad, your, your husband or your wife. What makes for effective communication? You know, over the years I've studied this because, you know, <laughs> a lot A lot of what I do for a living is I need to successfully communicate, whether I'm counseling in an office, whether I am uh, leading a meeting, whether I'm leading a team, whether I'm standing on a Sunday morning preaching, communication and effective communication. What I have learned about effective communication is it's not about the content. A lot of times when we begin to fight and, and communication breaks down with our spouses, we focus on content, context, the truth, what is right and what is wrong. But the reality is, successful communication really keys in on tone, and more than that, over 75% of what you hear another person said is derived from their what? Face, body language. Closer is truly better. I don't know about you right now, I feel kind of awkward sitting back here. (laughs) It it feels kind of weird. But picture a curtain between your loved one. Picture every communication that you have, every discussion you have. So, so your wife gets home at the end of the day or your, or your husband walks in the door and you begin to talk about your day. And picture sitting down behind a curtain. They on one side, you on the other. You can never see their face. You can, never, you can never tell whether their brow is furrowing, whether they're, they have a, that half-cocked smile, or, or whether their eyes are squinting and pulling in tighter, whether they're, they're, their jaw is setting. You, you miss all of that. All you get to do is report on the content. Yeah, honey, the kids really gave me a run for my money today. Yeah, you know, that, that uh, my boss, Yeah, you oh, wouldn't believe it. What a jerk. But here you are sitting behind a curtain. You picture the person on the side that you loved, and and it limits communication. God was no different. And so he says, listen, I'm going to tear it. I'm going to tear it. And I'm going to welcome you to walk in and look at me in the face. All throughout the scriptures, this this was like, whoa, you're going to be struck dead. And here God trusts us with his son. Theologically, yes, it's to clearly, that curtain is torn to say the payment has been made. But relationally, when you look at a passage like 2 Corinthians, I believe what God is saying is, get close. The beauty is all throughout the scriptures, we have the holy of holies. This place you have to go to. Now, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, where does God reside on this earth? Where is he? If you're a believer in Jesus, if you put your trust in him, he is right here inside of me because closer is better. He trusted us. He trusted us with his son. He tore the curtain in half and he said, come and look at me in the face. Let's have a conversation. Now, here's Let me say it this way. You get no say in how God feels about you. You get no say in how God feels about you. He is radically in love with you. He would go to all ends of the earth, including sending his most valued possession, if you will, his son, to this planet, And say, here he is. Do with him what you will. And ultimately we're going to tear the curtain and we're going to walk hand in hand, face to face. Now, this is often, as I think about my relationship with God, this is where my relationship with God goes bad. Oftentimes, it's, it's me coming to the holy of holies, if you will, me coming to offer my sacrifice. And as I walk with other Christians and other friends and, and fellow journeyers, I hear this all the time. We begin to think, okay, you know what? This is tax season right now. So tax season, we begin to learn what we really gave last year. We begin to realize, oh my goodness, I thought I, wow, that really wasn't a lot. So, so next year, God, I'm going to come, and I'm going to come before you, and I'm going to give not 5%, I'm going to make get 8%. We're gonna to work towards that 10. Or God, you know what? My church attendance, it's been kind of weak, you know, one, maybe one and a half times average in a month. We're gonna go for two. God, I'm getting better. Or we're gonna come and we're gonna offer the sacrifice. I'm gonna stop yelling and abusing the people that I love. I'm gonna stop get rid of the foul language. I'm gonna get rid of the addiction that's controlling me. That, that the drugs and the alcohol that is wrecking havoc in my God, I'm gonna come and, and I'm gonna we come and we offer our sacrifice. We're gonna do better. Now, doing better is not bad, but a lot of times, with my, in my own spirit, I'm doing better. I'm hoping, I'm hoping against hope that when I do better, it will help God's feelings of me and it will increase his acceptance of me. I'm hoping it will deepen my relationship. And all the while, I picture God in heaven saying what my wife said to me many years ago. Adam, it's not what I want. I want you. Matthew, the writer... It gave us verse chapter 27, wrote in chapter 9. I want to read you this verse. It's a powerful verse. This is when Matthew, Matthew became a follower of Jesus. He tells his story. Matthew was an outcast. Everyone hated this guy. He was a tax collector. Everyone hated this guy. And so Jesus comes and says, hey, come and follow me. Matthew is so overwhelmed. He throws this huge party. Well, gathering around the party are a lot of sinful, messed up people, and then the religious leaders kind of make their way in, and they have a conversation with Jesus. Jesus engages them, and is. Ultimately, it's this final verse I love in this, in this story. Verse 13 of chapter 9. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. So Jesus is going to give them their own scriptures. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 is where this is quoted from. It says, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you, listen to this, I want you to show mercy. Some translations say, I value love. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. It's like my wife saying, hey, listen, Adam, I love you doing the dishes. Keep doing the dishes, but it's not going to fix the relationship. Show me love. Show me mercy. Come to me. I want you. The very next line is, for I have come. Jesus says, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know, who know to a certainty that they are sinners. So it's why I've come is not for those of you who are coming to bring your sacrifices to make yourselves okay with me. I have come for those of you who know you can't make yourselves okay with me. And I want you to step in. The curtain has been torn. Come and look upon my face. I trust you. In 1970s, um, two women by the name of Pauline Rose Clance and Susan Imes uh, they were psychologists, sociologists. They discovered in their studies, in their research, this was in the 1970s. This is, this is I think, <laughs> this is, when you hear this, I'm like, man, they're describing today. They discovered in their research, they were studying, the studies that they found was specifically focused on women. Now, people have come along and, and replicated their studies and research, and I, it's broadened beyond women, but their original studies were simply looking at women. And here's what they discovered. They discovered what they labeled the imposter phenom. It's the haunting belief that we are not as smart, as kind, as tough, as good, as successful, as happy and fill in the blanks as we've made ourselves look, or we've helped others to believe. In other words, we've walked out into life, putting our best foot forward, posting on Instagram and Facebook and, and all over social media, showing everyone the best Adam, the best, the best you. We come to church putting on our Sunday best, and we, we come to work, and we give it our all, and we put our best selves out there. And I'm not going to let you see me. That's too dangerous. I'm going to put, I want you to see the, the, the good me. And we, we work so hard, but what ends up happening, we, we deep down inside realize, I don't know if I'm really this smart. I don't know if my product that I've worked so hard to sell is really this good. I don't know if this corner office that I landed in is really where I belong. I'm not sure I'm really what everyone thinks that I am. Ironically, here's the crazy thing ironically, the better that I am at crafting this image, the more applause I get for it. Way to go. Way to work. Way to nail it. Way to, I get more money. I get more promotions. I get more sales. I get more love. I get more. I get more. Way to go. The more I win, yet the more isolated I become. The true me, the unloved self, I keep hidden. With this deep fear, I'm not really as smart, as kind, as good, as successful, as happy. as what everyone really thinks I am. I think Jesus shows up and says, No. I've torn the curtain. Come, sit down with me. Look at me in the face. Be known. All of you, be known. And allow me to, allow you to get to know me. If you walk away, I guess, with nothing else this morning, here's the one thing I'd say. Nothing we are to do for God is as important as what he has done for us. Christian obedience and Christian holiness is crucial. Yet, what I fear in my own life as a follower of Jesus now for 25 plus years, I fear that often my behavior and my relationship with God is focused on my behavior and what I do, and it needs to be an outgrowth of what He has done. So I'd say, don't move from that place. As you sit and you engage your Creator, as you sit and engage your Father in heaven, don't get up and move on until you feel your heart sing. With what he has done for you. And I kind of close this thing down. You know, you use the word love. We use it a lot. Think of the last time you said love. Who'd you say it to? What'd you say it about? Maybe you said it, man, maybe you got an Easter basket yesterday. I love this, Dad. Thanks so much. Maybe you talked about a phone you got, a new phone. Oh my word, I love. This new iPhone X, I mean, this thing's amazing. Maybe talk about a movie you saw. You went to see Black Panther maybe recently. You walked out and said, that was an am- I love that movie. Maybe talk about your job. You love your job. You love your kids. You, you, think about the way you use the word love. And a lot of times, I find it interesting, sometimes when we're using the word love, we're using the word love because of the value that it brings me. The shiny new toy. The impressive new job the handsome young man or pretty lady that I have on my arm. We say we love it, but really what we're saying is we are, we are really excited about what it does for me, the value that it brings me, the self-worth that it gives me, the, the, the status that it, that man, others will, that's, we use the word love at times, right? I think the love Jesus has in mind is a far different love. The love Jesus has in mind bestows value, doesn't take it. Jesus trusted us. He, he was not an insecure man looking for something from us. It's kind of like this bear. See this bear? I think I hear my daughter laughing because she knows this bear is ugly. I pulled this out of the attic this week, and they were like, what is that thing? My wife was, like, freaked out. She's like, I hate old stuff, animals. Get that. I mean, that thing needs to go. I mean, it's kind of, but, but this bear, you know what this bear is? I've had, I had this bear, I have probably had this bear far longer than I should have had this bear. <laughs> I mean, he's lost an eyeball. There's fur that's been, uh, this kind of gross, but there's fur that's been sucked off of him. Uh, there's fur that's been rubbed off of him. Um, his, his music box hole is like completely ripped. There's like this funky screw on it now because you can't turn it, but here, he, he still does, I can't even turn that thing. Oh, isn't that? <laughs> now, this bear, this bear has no value. It's not shiny. It's not new. You don't look to it. But why did the four-year-old Adam Nagel cling to this bear? Who gave it its value? I gave it its value. I loved this bear. Now, you could argue, this illustration could break down at some level, Adam. You needed an attachment figure. And all, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. All that's fine. But... I loved this bear. I still, when I pulled this thing out of the attic, it brought all these warm emotional, and you're thinking, Adam, you're sick, get that thing out. But I love the bear because I bestowed value on it. That's God's love for you. He's not looking to you because He's insecure to bring Him value. He says, I'm gonna love you and bring value to you. The curtain has been torn. God trusted you with His Son. He wanted a relationship with you. Spend your days focusing on what he has done for you, and until your affections are engaged there, do not move. I just want to end. All throughout the scriptures, I find it interesting that God uses a picture of romantic love to tell the story of his grace. You see it all over the place. You see it in the nation of Israel. God pursues the nation of Israel like a bride. You see it in the church of Jesus Christ. You read it through it in Ephesians 5, and he says, hey, marriage is awesome, but it's really a mystery showing the picture of the relationship Jesus wants with his children, his kids. Marriage is all over. And the reason I think it is, I think because romantic love is the closest that any of us will ever get to experiencing pure grace, I'll end with this story and kind of tell it this way. Um, when I was, <laughs> I was a young man in college working at a, a children's camp, and I become smitten with this young lady named Tanya Brahm. Now, if you li- listen to that name, Tanya Brahm, what are her initials? TB. So I would come back at the end of my day, and, and so she's not fully aware yet that I'm like head over heels, and I'm like, I'm going to marry this girl. I want to marry this girl. But, you know, in that moment, there's all these fears. There's all these, I don't know, does she want to marry me? I've been rejected a lot in life. I've, I've asked, sent a letter out many a times, check yes or no, and I've gotten a lot of no's back. I'm not quite sure this is, but I'm in love with this girl named Tanya Brahm. So I'd come back at the end of the day, and there's this cabin full of junior high boys, and they're beginning to learn about my love of Tanya Brahm. and so they would say to me every night before I go to bed, Adam, did you get your TB shot today? <laughs> and I'd retort to him all the interaction I had with Tanya Brahm. They're usually at a distance. Every now and then it'd be up close. She had no idea. Well, the summer comes to an end and we have this banquet. And I uh, decided to risk. I'd already been risking and putting myself out there more. I, I've shared a story with you guys before. When I first asked her out, I sat on a golf cart, and she was, she was probably as me to the doors back there. And I'm on the golf cart with all these junior high boys to give me strength and support. And I holler all the way out across to her, hey, what are you doing on Friday night? And she's like, I don't know. I had to do my laundry. And I'm thinking, oh, shoot. And she's, you know, Tanya, she loves to have fun. So, so I've already gone kind of to put myself out there. Well, I began at the end of the summer, I'm thinking, you know what? what? I need to let her know about my past, the sexual brokenness that's been in my past, and I need to, before we would really pursue this, before we'd really step in, she needs to know, was my conviction. Before she gets wrapped up with me, then it's hard to say no to someone. If she's got convictions that she's going to marry someone that doesn't have the past I do, and she, then she needs to know now. So we have this, this banquet. The, the night is perfect. The night is amazing. The, the stars are out in the Adirondack Mountains. I mean, you can picture, there, if you are ever been in the Adirondack Mountains, there's no city lights, and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous evening. And here her and I sit out in the middle of campus on the Adirondack chairs. And I look at her, and I tell her my story. And I was filled with tears and brokenness and crying. And I don't remember all she said back to me. All I remember is going to bed that night. When I got asked, did you get your TB shot today, I went to bed that night thinking someone at last feels that I, me, Adam Nagel, just might be the most desirable, the most attractive, the most companionable creature on the planet. Someone just might lie awake thinking about me. I think that's why Jesus and God, all throughout the scriptures, use romantic love to paint the picture of his grace. He trusted you. He's for you. He stepped into this world in the form of a man to be with you because closer is better. He hung on a cross. He took your sins into his body, a body that was brutalized and beaten. He walked, He was separated from his God. Yet he trusted him and the curtain was torn. And he looks and says, come, let's talk face to face. I love you, I'm for you, I want to know you and I want you to know me. That's the Easter story. That's what you get when you step towards a relationship with your father. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, I want to uh, pray right now. I just, I want to, my desire is just to allow your spirit. is here, he's alive, he's active. I want to allow him to do what he does. So God, I want to take a moment of silence right now and I want to specifically ask you, God, my prayer, my, my bold cry is for those in this room that are skeptical, that are far from you and they know they're far from you, the ones that are wrestling and struggling, they aren't even quite sure you're who you say you are. God, just in the quietness right now, do your work and talk to their hearts. God, there's another group of people sitting here. They walked in. They know you exist. They made me relationship with you. God, I'm just going to do the same prayer. Got in the quietness, talk to them. Uniquely, where they're at, where they're sitting, what they've been struggling, where they've been hurting, God, speak to them right now. God, I don't know what you're saying, but I pray that people listen and they respond to what they've heard. God, maybe it's someone who's far from you who you've called them home. You've called them to admit their sin and put their trust in you so they can be your child. God, for those that, have, that are walking with you and in relationship and are your kids, I don't know, God, I don't know what you said to them, but God, I just close right now, close this service as we move to this final song drive it into our heart deep that that curtain has been torn, the veil has been ripped. You've come and you've said, closer is better. I trust you. God, help us to to trust in response. Help our hearts to be gripped with the experience of grace and love and the fact that you loved us first. God, and deepen our relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.